Welcome to 600 Pixels, a podcast that goes below the fold of the World Wide Web to see how professionals in the industry design and build better digital experiences for everyone. My name is Travis Self, a front-end developer here at LifeBlue. And I'm Caitlin Studley, Director of Culture here at LifeBlue. This week on the podcast, we have Shana Stigler. She's the Chief Empathy Officer at Betwixt Us, a company that created a Slack bot called Zany that helps distributed teams build trust and relationships to increase engagement, productivity, and innovation at companies. Uh, we also go into the greater uh, good of the industry in tech and chat a little bit about a project she's been working on called Pivot for Humanity that is focused on professionalizing the tech industry and what that means for all of us who work in it. Let's give it a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Shana. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for making the very long trip up to Plano, Texas to sit with us and talk about technology today. Woohoo! So you are currently the chief empathy officer at Betwixt. It is no lie. It is no lie. It is only truth. Only truth. That is what we stand for. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about your current role and maybe uh, a bit about your background. Tell our listeners all about yourself. I am chief empathy officer. It's my real title. Very proud of it. Um, yeah, we in the company kind of think about my role as being half half heart, half evangelist, um, evangelist for things like empathy, trust, emotional intelligence, vulnerability in the workforce, which very happy to see that those conversations have, um, really spread in the past couple of years when we started building the product that we've built four ish years ago. Um, we were definitely on the cutting edge of that, those types of conversations and, uh, one of my colleagues just went to the Culture Amp conference in San Francisco, and nice. Which those people are amazing, but um, yeah, yeah, it's really exciting to see that the trend has moved in that direction, and people are really talking about how to think about culture more holistically, and treating an organization as an organism. Yeah. Imagine that, yeah. made up of living parts. Crazy. Um, and then the heart side, so we have built a product. Our product's called Zany. And Zany acts as a conversation curator to help teams build trust in digital work environments. So right now we've built for Slack. The goal is to be wherever teams are working. Um, and the thing we've really set out to do is to help establish psychological safety, trust, vulnerability through the digital mediums that we are now communicating in. Um, So my role as it relates to the product is to make sure that we continue to build and operate from a place of empathy first, uh, which means when we make product decisions, when we're building new features or iterating or tweaking, that we really make sure that we're starting from uh, unique to our product, that we're starting from a human example, from the IRL example. So we often ask ourselves in meetings, you know, how would this, what would this look like? What would this feel like? How would this function if we were all sitting around a table together? What is the, what is the IRL experience that we're trying to create? And then how do we map that to a digital space? Um, so for our listeners over the age of 30, what does IRL stand for? In real life. Okay. I, don't so I just wanted to get that IRL. on the record. On the record. On the record. O-R. No. <laughs> o. O-N-T-R. Why is it so hard to do? O-T-R. <laughs> But yeah, so a bit of heart, a bit of evangelism, 
and yeah trying to make the digital world a more empathic humane place that sounds amazing yeah it's been really exciting to do this work over the past four years my background I think that was part two of your question so I went to school for musical theater which has nothing eh, it has nothing to do with the work I do now and kind of has everything to do with the work I do now Mm -hmm. um and then I studied improv in New York for a long time and that improv performance is what I have done that most relate most closely relates to jeez sorry like yes. we're recording <laughs> my little slack Rude. that was a slack notification actually yeah hurry for slack there you go <laughs> um but I studied improv in New York and what I learned through improv performance has so many correlations to business to tech uh to building product um and yeah, I kind of stumbled into this from a really strange place. Uh, the woman who started the company is a very, very good friend of mine. We met in advertising at an advertising agency in New York. And um, true to form in regards to what we are building, she is one of the few people that can say, hey, I'm building something. I don't really know what it is and I need your help. And without a second thought, I said, uh, yeah, I trust you. And I trust that whatever you're doing is super brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, it's funny. It's been really funny over the past four years navigating an industry that was not my own with people who come from such different backgrounds than I do. Um, and seeing the ways in which my very nonlinear tangential, um, path to getting here both, um, you know, made some things a little bit harder, but made a lot of things a hell of a lot easier. And especially when it comes to improv, I mean, improv more than anything is about trust. If you do not have trust on your team, if you do not have trust with the people that you're on stage with, your show's going to suck. It's not going to be funny. And you can always tell when you're watching an improv team how well they get along, how well they trust each other. Um, And it's that level of trust and active listening that I think really prepared me for this work in tech, which, you know, I see people coming through with computer engineering or you know coding backgrounds or whatever and nerds you can just say nerds. yeah <laughs> nerds <laughs> nerds um, nerd alert but yeah i was i have been really it's been really cool to step into this work from a very strange place a seemingly tangential place and to recognize and realize that um performing and theater and really collaborating and working on a team those skills absolutely translate and have I think made me a better uh, colleague and uh, has made me better equipped to do this work. So we talk about empathy. How do you integrate empathy in something like Slack? You know, where it's like, you're not in front of the person, you know? Oh girl, it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Is this, uh, do we, is this, do we have enough time for this one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that what we have to recognize is a thing like Slack and no shade to Slack. Slack was not built to foster psychological safety or emotional intelligence it was not it was built to make communication really efficient and the the, best part about slack is that marketplace did an interview with their ceo a couple of weeks ago old stew butts and stew butts (laughs) old stewart butterfield old (laughs) old stew butts and kai rizal asked him do you have any notifications that you get from your slack 
And he was like, oh, God, no. All my notifications are silenced. Like, I don't get any messages. I don't get any notifications. So he, even just in that very surface level, quick two-minute interview, got to the heart of, you know, what does it say about your own product that what you've created you can't even figure out how to sift through the noise and make it a meaningful experience. Gotta be willing to eat your own dog food, man. <laughs> so I thought that that was an interesting anecdote. I was li- listening to the interview in the car, like, hmm, that is interesting. It's really, yeah, we've we've missed the boat here. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Slack is. Uh, I think a lot of people are really grateful for it. It has fundamentally changed the way that we work together. It's fundamentally changed the way we communicate. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that we are, our communication is being intermediated by technology, which is a a newer thing. Um, the way it's being, uh, intermediated is a newer thing, uh, in the workplace, but this whole idea of notifications and it's also changing. I, I think that's why the conversation around building culture at work has coincided with an increase in workplace technologies because no longer do you have that hardline separation between your professional self and your personal self. The way Slack is designed with chat-like interface, it changes the expectation in terms of how, how readily available you have to be. So when we were relying on email as a primary source of of communication before you expect some sort of a delay when you send somebody an email with slack because it's chat based it's so immediate that i think and i have heard this expressed by a lot of people that it definitely increases that those feelings of anxiety when it comes to communication at work because it feels like you always have to be on and even if you know, you're working from home or if you work remotely or if you're supposed to be offline or out of pocket for the day, getting that notification and the way that the notification comes in because it feels like a text, a chat, Mm -hmm. I think makes people feel a lot of pressure to be very available, which makes that hard line that we had exist for a really long time start to dissolve. And I think that's when the conversations around culture really started to take place as people were, you know, I, The reason that we talk about psychological safety at work is because half the workforce is remote and people are feeling isolated and lonely because we aren't co-located. We aren't looking in each other's faces every day. And I think tools like Slack have exacerbated that. It's a funny thing. It's a double-edged sword because, because, because Slack exists, we are able to communicate in ways that we never were before. We're able to collaborate with people across vast dis- you know, distances. You do not have to be in the same city, time zone, country to be on the same team, which is incredible. I mean, innovation goes up exponentially because of that. You have fresh voices and perspectives that come in. Yeah. But the way we are working is fundamentally changing. So in terms of culture, I think it's made it really difficult to maintain that semblance of boundaries for lack of a better word and respect Um, and when it comes to building empathy or trust in a digital environment especially one that was designed to make communication extremely efficient which trust by definition is an inefficient system it takes time over time to feel like you really have a sense of somebody so yeah if the goal is to build trust in a digital work environment it's hard when the thing that you're building it within is kind of working against you, which again, no shade to Slack, but 
that's the way it's designed. Most technology is not built with vulnerability or reciprocity in mind. So in our product, we really try to think about, okay, well, what, if trust is the goal, what are, what is the thing that allows somebody to feel like they trust each other? And that is, of course, knowing each other, right? You have to have a sense of who somebody is to determine whether or not you trust them. And what is the way to get to know somebody? That is, of course, being in conversation with them. So we designed our product around that proposition to really say, you know, if trust is a goal, conversation is the road to get there. And you can use illuminating, provocative, um, you know, uh, exciting questions as the opener for those conversations to get eventually to trust. And one of the one of the big things that um, we really tried to account for was this idea of reciprocity. So, you know, reciprocity being if you're expected to share, if you're expected to be vulnerable with somebody, you sh- would hope that somebody is willing to be vulnerable with you. I mean, think about the good relationships you have in your life. If you're doing all of the sharing and the other person doesn't feel like they can open up, it's not a very good relationship. The problem is that reciprocity basically does not exist online. Um, the way our digital tools are built, it is very easy for me to be a voyeur. I can go on LinkedIn and consume a lot of information about you without ever having to give anything up myself. So that's one of the initial things that we really tried to build for is to say, you know, if if you're going to show up to the space, you have to be willing to participate. You have to be willing to share. And in that way, we are you know, working within the existing framework of a digital tool like Slack and the fact that it's immediate, um, you know, the immediate uh, easy chat-based function uh, while also making sure that we are creating the system for trust to be built. And reciprocity is one of the biggest things to do that. So talk to us a little bit about, in the light of all of this, what is your relationship with technology and maybe how has it changed over time, whether that period of time is a month, a year, you know, a couple of years, a decade. What does that look like for you in the context of now you are putting effort towards this tool because you've identified a challenge that we are facing as a result of it. So I'm curious how that kind of factors into your life. Yeah. My relationship with technology is uh, complicated to say the least. Um, For somebody who's worked in the tech industry for the past four years, I use tech as little as possible. yeah, and we did establish before the mics went hot that you don't have Wi-Fi right now. I don't have Wi-Fi in my at house. At your y'all. house, which is, I mean. Crazy. How, how do you survive? Yeah, I'm, I'm not on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm not on anything else. Um, yeah, it's, a, it, it's been an interesting process because obviously we've done a ton of research into culture and the future of work um, and also done a ton of research into how technology is built and it's really that side of this work that has opened my eyes to um, let's just say the priorities that we see evidenced in the way technology is built Um, and I'm somebody who once I know something, I can't not know it. <laughs> and the more I've pulled the curtain back and really taken a hard look at what has built this industry, um, yeah, it's been really hard. It's been very difficult to um, absorb all of that, to learn all of that, and to pretend like I don't know it. I always <laughs> feel like the crazy lady at the party who's like, y'all, 
your Amazon Echo is totally listening to you. Did you hear that story about the guy who requested all of his data and he got somebody else's data? And <laughs> So you found out how the hot dogs were made and you were like, I'm not eating any of those hot dogs. Yeah, anymore. and I tried to tell other people to eat less hot dogs. I mean, in the work that we're doing, I, I feel affirmed that companies like ours exist. We aren't the only ones. There's a lot of people who are having conversations like this and really looking at tech and saying, how can technology be used as a tool to enable more of our empathy and more of our humanity? And how do we use it and not let it use us? Unfortunately, and this is uh, much more rampant within social tech, because of the model that exists, the users are not who tech builders are really building for unfortunately i mean the way that those systems exist they're they're there to serve the advertisers not the end users and so you have things like dark patterns and you know really unintentional consequences that arise when there are not systems in place when we are building technology to think about what are the real human impacts of this um, and part of the work that is kind of spun out of Betwixt Us is a nonprofit organization which we've started. Uh, it's called Pivot, Pivot for Humanity. And the thing that we're really championing for is professionalizing the tech industry and saying, hey, we need to acknowledge that just like medicine, just like law, just like engineering, the things that we built have a very real impact on the lives of the people who use these things. And that requires a level of accountability and responsibility. And, you know, we are very unique, I feel, in the way that we build technology. If anybody else looked at our roadmap, they'd be like, wow, these fools are so slow. (laughs) Um, But we've been so intentional with every single thing that we've done. And, you know, it costs us more money. We move slower, our projections a lot longer. But at the end of the day, we feel affirmed that we made decisions based off of really the impact that this would have. And the trend in tech right now, I mean, this is not news to anybody. This is the tech lash of the past couple of years. But Move fast and break things. Yeah, this idea of move fast and break things, which is funny that Facebook, not funny at all, but that Facebook is backpedaling from that ethos but this idea of move fast and break things um just doesn't work and it has real human consequences i mean you look at myanmar i mean there are lives that are being altered and taken because of the way this technology is being built and yeah again i am the crazy lady at the party who's like we really gotta think about this harder (laughs) y'all um yeah my relationships with tech is very difficult i know uh, a lot about the inside of the industry. I know a lot about the way technology is built, um, more than the average, you know, 30 something with a smartphone. Um, I'm incredibly wary of, um, was that Siri who just spoke up? Oh, I thought I heard her. She's always <laughs> crazy. Listening. She's like, I'm here. like, she knows I'm talking trash about her. Um, she's like, Shayna. What do you want? <laughs> what have I done to you? What do you want yeah. from me? I, can't I tell love you, you Shayna. I, I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting, having a conversation with a friend and a cell phone's on the table and I'm like, NSA, I know you're listening to me. Just <laughs> <laughs> turn to the next tape. Um, but yeah, my relationship in short is very difficult. What was that, Shayna? Do you want to say it into the <laughs> phone? <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard. I, I'm, 
I'm excited to see the mindful tech movement grow as it has in the past couple of years. I'm so excited by the work that, uh, you know, companies like Rescue Time are doing. Um, uh, I have a friend, Ivan Cash, who uh, he created these incredible uh, screen blocking glasses or mm. sunglasses that block yeah. out screens. I've seen those. Um, they're amazing. I wrote prototype. I should show you. Yes. They're incredible. Um, I love it. They so, block out screens. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at a screen when you're wearing the glasses. Or like not- if you're in a bar or restaurant that has a ton of screen yeah. or like the mm. airport. Yeah. Oh, so you They're can just amazing. focus on other things. That's yeah. how every good bar is ruined with a TV playing sports on it's it. It's always sports oh, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're you. a speakeasy except there's three TVs in here. You're and they're like, like, wait. Nobody's watching no, this golf game on mute. No one cares Come about on. this sports mm-hmm. ball game. Come on. But yeah, I'm affirmed by the mindful tech movement that has sprung up over the past couple of years. I think people are, are becoming more knowledgeable. Um, you know, the big GDPR push that happened last year, very, very exciting. Unfortunately, we are still a little bit, you know, behind the times behind the EU. Just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's no joke, man. I mean, tech has a, an acute impact on the lives of its users and um, the powers that be are not taking nearly enough responsibility or accountability um, in terms of making sure that that impact is altogether positive. Yeah. And this is a thing we talk a lot about here at Life Blue, how the work that we are doing every day in building websites or creating digital products, how it affects the end users and what that looks like for our clients and their bottom line and future proofing them for however this pendulum swings. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, you have individual companies and individual builders who are building with this stuff in mind, but the impact, the hold that technology has on our lives, this should be something that's completely systematized. And that's really why we're calling for the professionalization of the industry, because there should be a set of universal standards that anybody who's building anything that is going to eventually touch a human should have to go through a set of guidelines or principles or a checklist to make sure that they are not inadvertently causing harm. I don't think anybody at any of the designers at Facebook ever set out to make an echo chamber, right? That was never their intention. Nobody ever sat in a meeting and was like, hey, let's just reverberate hate around the room until we all lose our minds. But because there was not a system in place to make sure that that was considered, it's very, very easy, especially when you have an advertising model or an advertising revenue stream it's very very easy to make an unintentional wrong decision that has monumental impact and I think we've seen over the past couple of years that uh, yeah uh, American democracy human lives uh the way we pick your poison yeah the way we relate to it's been touched by Facebook yeah and ruined and this is all I mean it's all manageable it is all avoidable but we need widespread systematic changes and systems in place to make sure that that is considered in the building process itself. Well, that's a cultural change too, right? Because right. this is not the mindset of people who are building companies in Silicon Valley. Right. This is, you know, their thought process is create your MVP, get as many customers as right. fast as you can. It's eyeballs. Deal with the consequences later, right. you know, just take it and run with it, which is 
not a very sound business plan these days when you're working with technology because the consequences can be so monumental. Yeah. But that's what gets rewarded. So right. that's the other challenge with this. It's not just let's do this because it's the right thing. It's the incentive shifts, right? right. It's shifting that incentive to, hey, remember humanity and the good of it? Yeah. We should be doing things for that and not just desperately throwing things in front of investors and pitching companies and yeah. building things that will make the world a worse place, whether it's purposely or accidentally. But it's hard not to. I mean, and again, why this is why the industry needs to become a trade, which means professionalizing, which means a universal set of standards. It's because I, we know we're a tech startup. We know the pressure that is put on young companies to scale fast. Yeah, It's really, really easy to fall into that trap. The incentive is there to not build with the end user in mind. The incentive is there to build as quickly as possible for as many people to touch it as possible. And it would, I think, alleviate a lot of that pressure to have something to rely on, something to lean on. Yeah. And, you know, also open channels of communication and open transparency with the people who actually use these things. So what, tell us more about what you feel like that process looks like, because I've heard you mention you gave a talk at Ignite DFW mm -hmm. where you kind of put this in the context of the Hippocratic Oath yeah. or taking the bar exam as a lawyer, which you kind of right. mentioned those professions earlier. What do you imagine is best case scenario for some of the considerations in moving towards professionalizing tech as a trade and some of the responsibility that that carries? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, the builders need to be certified. There needs to be a certification process for anybody working within the tech industry, just like for medicine, just like for law, just like for engineering, that every single person knows what they're being measured up against and has a way to earn that certification. Um, secondly, I think the companies need to, I mean, the industry itself needs to create I think the Hippocratic Oath is a great example, but needs to create a shared vision. And from that shared principles that every industry or every company within this industry, within this trade commits to upholding. And then the company themselves needs to put systems in place to be able to protect that. So this part of it that makes me so excited is that means the culture within tech needs to change. I mean, you've seen over the past couple of years, Google's a really great example of employees using internal structures to raise their hands and say hey we don't like the way things are going on we don't like working you know on black box projects we don't like the way that these systems exist and using the channels available to them like google champions i mean that's part of their culture is they mm -hmm. have these avenues of communication to be able to band together and, and put a stop to it and really greatly alter the type of work that google does and that's what's really exciting for me on the company level is creating an opportunity, really committing to a culture that champions whistleblowing, really champions people being honest, open, transparent with not only what they're building, but also having that level of transparency with the leaders and the powers that be to say, hey, you know, we we all as the engineers signed whatever the version of, of a Hippocratic Oath is, and this project, this client, uh, this process does not fit that and really committing as a culture to creating the avenues and the mechanisms for that type of hand raising to happen. 
Well, it gives them an out, right? Right. Because it's just like if you go and ask a lawyer to do something unethical, they'll say, sorry, I can't. I'll be disbarred. Right. So it's not, you know, right. it removes the personal aspect yeah, out of it. it like, oh, you don't want to protection. Yeah. You don't want to do this sketchy thing for me. It's like, well, I can't because then I won't have a job anymore. Yeah, so. No, I, I signed an oath. I yeah. vowed to this pledge. I vowed to uphold these principles. Yeah. And this work does not fit into that. So, um, some of us went to an event apart this year in Boston. Uh, so Michael Austin Sue of Airbnb mm-hmm. gave a, a talk about inclusivity's hidden legacy. And it kind of talked about the mm-hmm. same thing where it's like all these under, other industries have, you know, centuries of, uh, you know, shaping their standards and guidelines right. and stuff like that. And we don't have any of that. And he showed a really interesting slide about the time to 100 million people that these industries had went through Mm -hmm. Facebook and Instagram and, and YouTube, it was like five years, five to 10 years versus like print. It took 150 years to get to, so like it, the consequences have such a wide impact in the tech industry because like it's continuing to scale that way too, you know? So like when we get it wrong, it affects a lot of people in big ways, you know? Well, and it's kind of scary because, you know, to, to broaden it a bit, even just with screens, right? We're, Everybody got so excited. It was like Google and Microsoft are doing all these programs and sponsoring all these tablets for kids. And now we're seeing a huge pushback where the teachers are like, holy God, yeah. get these screens out of my classroom. Yeah. My, my kids can't focus. My kid can't hold a crayon. Yeah. Like it's it's a huge pushback of like it's affecting their development. Yeah. It's making them depressed. It's doing all these different things. And I mean, no one was ever like, hey, maybe we should think for like a hot minute before we shove yeah. all these screens in these faces. I mean, kids if you faces. think about it, like you're in school for what eight hours a day yeah as a kid like yeah. that's the one time where you can be like hey put the technology aside oh God, for a I second know. you can get a break from your screens for eight hours yeah. they're like nope let's just constantly have a screen in front of their faces it's crazy yeah i mean that's that's really why a universal set of standards and principles makes all the difference in the world because then we have something to fall back on yeah. and the other thing that we can learn from previous trades that have done this is it is the practitioners themselves that banded together to say, we got to put a stop to this. We got to acknowledge that we have an acute impact. Our work has an acute impact on human lives. And we have a responsibility to uphold because of that. And I am so excited by the tech dissident work that you were seeing within the industry of, you know, employees saying, uh-uh, we're not going to do this anymore. And I just hope the companies really heed that and choose to self-regulate. There's there I there should absolutely be government regulation in place, absolutely. But there is no reason that the industry cannot regulate themselves. And the road to that is absolutely professionalization. Yeah. How do you think we would go about really doing like getting that in place and started and aside from just the conversations that are being had, like what would the what body or organization like would would set those standards you think yeah i mean it would have to be a body that would come together potentially be elected um i think the first step in that is creating a a shared ethos a manifesto um you know if you read the pre it's really interesting the preamble to the hippocratic oath it is like it was written right after cambridge analytica it is so 
so applicable to what we are experiencing within this industry. You take it a, a couple of words and it is like it was written for this. So I think the first thing that has to happen is, you know, representatives within big tech, as well as people who have been working on the mindful tech side, who are actively working to build technology in a different way, coming together, creating a board and saying, you know, this is the starting point. This is the ethos that we're starting from, um, which yeah <laughs> it, yeah it's gonna be tough there's no reason not to though yeah no i, I think there is definitely a moral reckoning is the yeah the two words i'm seeing and you're seeing more around. and more the average user stepping up and saying it, it's interesting i mean i know a lot about the inside of the industry but all of my friends who don't still can say to me they have an unhealthy relationship with their technology and can still see that it is in some way, you know, adversely affecting their lives. Yeah, it's one of those things that we all, I think we all could admit it if we yeah. were honest with ourselves. Yeah, for sure. So if I am a an average tech worker, I'm an average Susie, and I say, Shana, I'm sick of this. I want to, <laughs> I want to help. Where do I, where do I start? Uh, how check can I get, out. How can I get, unfortunately, plugged in? <laughs> Pivotforhumanity.com. Um, we are trying to drum up support, uh, awareness, advocacy. Um, that is a really great place to start. You can learn more about our initiative, um, how we're, our proposed approach to professionalization. Um, sign up for updates there. We're on Facebook. Oh boy, <laughs> that's oh, conflicting. No. I know it is, <laughs> but there's a point. Necessary You're trying to reach evil. people on the platform yes. and yes. let them know the platform's evil. Yes. So and there's something um, particularly You're, thrilling about a like fu Facebook campaign on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's you like gotta, that revolt from the inside. Yeah. It took the words right out of my mouth. This is why we're co-hosts. Like we're co-hosts or something. It is awesome. Uh, where can people? connect with you since you're not on the inter- interwebs yeah. where, where i'm on they linkedin find okay i am um fairly active on there okay shana stigler shana stigler on linkedin you can also connect with Stu butts if you want to you can also call Stu butts directly <laughs> send him a slack whole stewie send him, a gift. send him a slack message he'll never read i can't believe he said that yeah. i can totally believe it i'll i'll find that interview and list wow. it in the show notes that makes me really sad and mm-hmm. does not surprise me in the slightest. Way to believe in your products, Stewie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, very cool. This was a great conversation. I think this is the start to many more great conversations about this stuff as we watch Pivot for Humanity grow, as we watch Betwixt Us grow. And I think watching, hopefully, the humanity come back into technology. And yeah, we're trying, girl. We are trying. We're fighting the good fight. We're fighting the good fight. We're doing it every day, building websites and recruiting people in tech who care about this stuff enough to find the balance of, you know, getting business done for companies, but not selling their souls out and Mm -hmm. ruining all of our lives in the process. So it is not an easy uh, task. We actually, I shared an article on our Twitter earlier today that was about ethical offsets in tech and someone wow. wrote in wrote into this guy who wrote the it was a blog post on medium asking like i work for a really shady 
social media company and my team doesn't do the shady stuff, but we sit next to the team that does like, but I donate a lot of money to charity. Like, does that count? And they were like, no, it doesn't count. Ethical offsets are not a thing. Like, are you familiar with indulgences? (laughs) Have you ever read about that? So it's just, yeah, it's interesting. Grateful that companies like yours exist. Well, thank you. We're certainly doing our best. We're not perfect, but we we chat a lot about the things that you mentioned. We just had an episode uh, that we've recorded that we'll be publishing soon. It will be out by the time this one is out uh, about dark patterns with my fiance, Matt Potter. Ooh, he is a perfect person to talk to about that. Yeah. So we're trying to dig into some of these topics and hopefully educate our listeners and just educate the web dev world so that we can avoid some of these things. But This was a great conversation. We look forward to having many more with you, Shannon. We hope you'll come back and visit with us again soon. Thanks for having me.